Hey, and welcome to Building Vessor, the podcast where we're telling you all about the behind the scenes experience of the world of Vessor, an up and coming franchise IP that you're going to be able to play as a game or watch as a show or read as a book or all of the above. We're super excited about it today. I'm Mike McCarg. I'm Victory Palmisano. I'm Ann Halk. And today, oh my gosh, we have the biggest news that we've had so far. Right now, as you are listening to these words, people are being invited into our private member community for the world of Vesser. We're doing small batches of people, and right now, we're going through the wait list. So those of you who signed up for the wait list, your invite is coming. Those of you who have not yet signed up for the wait list, you want to go to Vesser.com, V-E-S-S-E-R.com right now and click join the wait list because, oh my gosh, it's so cool. We've been building out the community. You're going to be able to play games in the world of Vesser, Exile and Garden of Suktu with the people creating those games. You're going to be able to interact with the people who are on our actual play live series. You're going to be able to play your own games. You're going to get lore. We're going to have community events. There's so much happening there. Um, and it's always going to be the place that we take our newest, best stuff first. So go to Vesser.com. And sign up for the wait list. And you may be thinking, oh my gosh, if I sign up today, how long until I get to join? Well, I don't know. It could be a little while. The wait list is pretty large. But if you stick around to the very end of the program, I'm going to tell you how you can skip the wait list entirely. Uh, but you have to stick around for the entire podcast for that bit of information. So, guys, you okay, Ann? Yeah, sorry. Just dropped that real quick. <laughs> this fresh new segment that we're bringing in at the top of the episode is called What Are You Watching, Reading, Playing? <laughs> uh, Anne, what are you watching or reading or playing these days? So, this will come as no surprise to Mike and Victory, but it's very busy right now. I'm mm -hmm. sure everyone can agree. And when that happens, I kind of revert to comfort watches, comfort reads. So I've been reading back through the Lock Tomb series right now and thoroughly enjoying my time. It's I know I know it's not like a series for everyone, but I love the genre shifts and I enjoy the fact that reading it back through. There's a lot of new things I hadn't noticed, a lot of things flavored by what we know so far that I'm sure will change completely when Electo comes out. But that's what I've been reading. Hmm. For those who may not know about the series, do you want to share like kind of the premise? Sure. I have it right here too. So it's Gideon the Ninth, Harrow the Ninth, and Nona the Ninth are the ones that are out so far. It's kind of a sword fantasy, but set in space with necromancers, cavaliers. Overall, a very good time. The first book is very um, gothic horror murder mystery. And then the second book gets into some much weirder spaces as far as like points of view, all of that. But it's it's very fun. I love it. And it's by Tamsin Muir. Thank you. Mike, what about you? It will surprise no one who's been listening to this podcast that I am on my seventh playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> this time I decided to be a sorcerer. And this is uh, I'm going back to the like full on hero unapologetic 
I say good guy, but my character's a woman, uh, play through. But this one I'm trying to do like more of a completionist, go to every nook and cranny. The problem is now, like I've seen different paths I can't take because of my choices. Now I'm planning my next playthrough and the playthrough after that. So Baldur's Gate has sort of consumed my media consumption habits. I've, you know, I still, I, Destiny 2, which I used to put honestly 20 to 30 hours a week into, I'm playing for like one hour on Tuesdays to see the new story content, and that's it. And then uh, Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty just came out. Which I'm super excited to try. The reviews are good. So I'm going to be digging into that this weekend. Although I am actually reading something, I realized. I don't read as many books as I used to. You know, I used to I used to read like a, a solid 100 to 120 books a year. And so I've cut way back since uh, lockdown. But I just got a new book I'm really excited about, which is Flea Mortals, which is the MCDM Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Monster Manual. I've loved watching MCDM grow. You know, I started with uh, with Matt Colville's uh, running the game series before they released any products. Loved his GMing philosophy. Got really excited when Strongholds and Followers came out and then Kingdoms and Warfare and then Arcadia, the ongoing series. But I feel like this is the book where, dare I say it, MCDM has taken the leadership position in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Like, we know anyone who follows TTRPGs, Wizards of the Coast has made some, how shall we say, missteps of late. <laughs> it's somewhat angered the community. And this book is everything Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition should be at its best. The art is phenomenal. The creatures are interesting. The monsters, I should say. But even more interesting is like the kind of Meta architecture, they've added to 5th edition to make monsters more interesting, more accessible, to improve encounter planning. So if you run games in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, whether or not you're frustrated with Wizards of the Coast, I would highly recommend grabbing Flea Mortals. It is phenomenal. And our own Alex Hinsinski, who's one of the designers on our team, was a playtester for this product. Not a playtester, a playtest coordinator. Uh, and then because of that, I'm actually in the credits of the book as a playtester, which is kind of fun. So Flea Mortals is fantastic. Highly recommended. Uh, Buddy also loves it, too, as you can hear. If you hadn't mentioned the art, I was going to bring it up because it is wonderful. It's been so fun to see them sort of find their style. And it feels like in Flea Mortals, they really like dive into it and own it. It just feels like they've really hit their stride of what their art style looks like, how that's depicted across, you know, a vast range of artists and monsters and all of that. And it's it's really cool to look through. I know we went through it kind of as a world building team when it came out because we were all, you know, excited to see what it looked like. And it's it's impressive. Well, I can certainly share a little bit about what I've been watching, but boy, is it different <laughs> than you two. No way. <laughs> I know this comes as a total shock. <laughs> because we have been so busy, I'm full-time working, full-time momming, and also am caring for a family member in hospice. So I have maybe 45 minutes late at night to watch something, if, if at all. So I am 100% comfort watching. And I can... 
I could call it a couple things. One is a really depressing docu-series that I started watching, but I don't think that's a very fun for this show. So I won't go there. I will go to The Guiltiest of Guiltiest Pleasures, which I know has been mentioned on this show before, which is Outlander. If listeners have not read the books or seen the show, it's about a woman who in the in 19 post-war 1940s travels through some stones in Scotland 200 years back in time and has a wild romantic adventure that is very dark and very romantic. And I read the books, not all of them, but I read the first couple. Each book is like 1500 pages or something. I don't know. It's very, very long books. And I think the connecting point here is that a lot of people ask about romance in the world of Vesser. A lot of people are interested in it. Mike, not so much interested in romance. Getting more so. Getting more so. But I'm a big, to me. yeah, I'm a big pusher of, of romance storylines and situations because uh, people love it. We love it. I love love. Like I love, love, love so much. Well, I think that's like such an important thing about the setting. It's a big fantasy setting, mm-hmm. and there's like people with superpowers. And in fantasy settings and people with superpowers, science fiction would be true of this as well. Uh, a lot of times it's like we got to save the world against increasingly dire threats. And it's like it's actually pretty fun arc for like three or four films or three or four books. And then it's like, what like what do you do now? You can't you can't ratch the stakes up anymore ratchet the stakes up anymore and our setting uh, a lot because of victory's influence is meant to be fantastical in scope uh in the world but personal in scope in the stories so we actually want the stories we tell to be much more about people and their lives and their relationships and yeah their romances than uh Oh, no, the biggest monster ever is coming for the story because the biggest monster ever coming for the city is routine in our world. That's just part of life. That's just, you know, it's like when I lived in Florida, giant monsters are like hurricane season, right? Like you just know hurricanes are coming and you don't build your life around that. So I think that's really exciting. I think that perspective victory is super important. Also, victory, you said you were bringing something super different, but you did bring romanticy, which is still fantasy. <laughs> so right. all, all three of us listed like a fantasy thing we were reading, watching, playing. That's right. I almost didn't go this direction because I feel like we've we've talked about it before, but I felt like it was it's the more fun one to talk about for sure. Yeah. Is there romance in the book that you're reading yet? There is romance. All right. It's, it's painful. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a painful romance of things don't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very sort of gritty world that everyone's yeah. existing in. Yeah, but it's it's definitely there, like for sure. There's well, a so lot much of, of romance is longing mm-hmm. and wishing. The, uh, this does yearning very well. Yeah, it's all about that yearning. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of romance and relationships. We are building a community and I'm really excited to see how things grow and who knows, 
maybe people even might meet each other and fall in love in our community. <laughs> that would be like my <laughs> ultimate dream. <laughs> oh, you're muted, Mike. Mike's muted. They're right outside my office at the yard work. That's mm. what I was saying that was a nightmare for the moderators is uh, people <laughs> okay. building relations. Because, uh, you know, there's a whole phenomena online and our community will be built, be built for safety around these things of um, stalkers. Unwanted romantic attention. or sexual attention. Sure. So uh, we certainly are a, not encouraging that. Major that'd be a no bueno in yeah. our community. No, that would be Absolutely. very uh, out of left field for us. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. World investor, where you stalk whoever you want. No. No, no, no. no. This is more like you've got mail, lots of messaging, yes. messaging, getting, falling in love for months and months without ever even saying it one of the healthiest and most sustainable online communities i've ever been a part of was the cozy robots discord like you know we the Lance mike and the cozy robot show have been off the air for years that server is still running it's still healthy and it's because um well we had, we had no small part in this crafting really excellent community guidelines but then that community took that further and developed it and has a really excellent moderation philosophy and that's kind of the to me the gold standard and we're going to be aiming for that level of uh, community moderation and community support and the world of vesser community as well yeah the cozy robot community is going strong it's wild and very cool to see it doesn't have like the same amount of like churn that i see in a lot of other servers like the people who are there are like really consistent really active um, so kind. It's, it's a cool environment. Yeah. And so in, in our community, like we want that sense of communal safety, but then like much more opportunities to play together, to experience things together. I want as quickly as we possibly can to set up some kind of a platform for people if they want to create what we traditionally call fan content. I'd love to hear other people like your story about what's happening investor or and for other people in the community to experience that as well super cool stuff yeah i mean we're we're going to be on there playing games with ourselves with people in the community um i know i'll i'll be in there every once in a while like just making art i'd love to like have like a co-working session kind of deal i think it's going to be really fun yeah, what can they, I mean, give us give us a typical maybe week and uh, someone joins. What can they expect to experience? Yeah, I think I know starting out, we're going to have several events focused on character creation, whether that's for the Garden of Suktu or eventually for Exile itself. We'll have some happy hour events where you can just come hang out with the team, ask your questions. Um, and then we'll also be starting up games pretty shortly here. It's going to be it's going to be really exciting, I think. I mean, I'm excited to see new people actually get to play the games because, I mean, we've, we've had games with people who haven't played before, obviously. But for a while, it's it's kind of been our baby and it's been a secret. And so it'll be it'll be fun to see it out there a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and like playtesting. Our whole goal with World of Vesser is to bring people in and have people co-create with us. So this is the beginning of it, and we're all really mm -hmm. excited. Are you getting distracted by the sound of the... I can't hear the leaf blower. 
I had to quit Slack because I was getting Slack notices. Mm. Like we're working, but the other work was like it's also working. <laughs> I don't just do well too popular, notifications. Mike. Notifications are the devil. I mean, I have to be a nightmare to work with because I keep I like open Slack to check it and then close it again, and I like so if, if people like email me or ping me, it can be hours until I see that. <laughs> <laughs> literal hours um and I, I you know but i can't function any other way i mean a true nightmare you are a nightmare to work with mike no we just call you <laughs> i just mean in terms of like yeah if he does if you need me call me i'm like hey what's up i don't know i maybe it's just timing normally works out but i feel like when i send something you're usually there anyways so i've i've, I've never had a problem with it i also don't love the notifications though. Mm-mm. They're awful. They shouldn't exist. I had to like turn they off. They should notifi- be removed from the platforms. Yes. Well, aren't they designed to make our brains addicted to seeing them? Not originally, but they have been shaped to be such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once, like, once behavioral science entered revenue management and marketing, then they started. Y- explicitly the messaging and timing of notifications to create dopamine dependencies and to drive compulsive behavioral loops around a product. I think I know the answer to this question, but for both of you, are you people who can have like the high number of notifications by, by the little icon or do you have to clear it out? My icons don't have any notification number on them. I don't allow it. So there's no way for an app to let me know there is information inside of it. I have to go check on it. I tend to be an inbox zero though per- person though. Like mm-hmm. I take my inbox to zero ideally yeah. once a day. Um, so I tend to once in be a completionist, but. What are you in? I'm also an inbox zero person. I like to have it all sort of like neat and taken care of. So when when the icon's down there, it sort of starts to stress me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm an inbox zero, save for emails I specifically keep unread that I need to go back to. Does That's that make, fair. Yeah, meaning meaning it's not inbox zero. <laughs> yeah, but I like sometimes I can't respond to or address something, and I'm afraid Snooze. I'm going to forget it. Snooze the message. Yeah, this is where my grandma-ness comes in. I'm like, you can snooze a message. <laughs> it, and m- not every email app, but many email apps allow you to snooze a message. And so then it's gone, and it comes back at the time you have told it to. Okay, this feature so is going to change my life. I snooze messages all the time. Because, like, the theory is uh, having unread messages in your inbox when you look at your inbox you have to do more information processing and hold more chunks in working memory to then figure out what you're supposed to work on next. So true inbox zero means your inbox should be zero, zero. messages in it. And the methodology is when you have a message, there are only three things you do with the message. If the email has a task that will take less than five minutes, you do it immediately. If uh, it has more than five minutes, you defer it, which means you schedule a time 
to take on that task and then delay the tell the email to show back up at that time. And the third option is to delete it, like just make it go away. So if if an email is just informational, you read the information and then delete or archive as appropriate. And so with every message, I do it, defer it or delete it. This is where autism is a great friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I read that like, I think Merlin Mann came up with that. uh, M-A-N-N. I read that methodology. I was like, oh, and I just did that from that point on. (laughs) It's so impressive. It's very wise. Immediately. And at the time I had like 800 messages in my box because I was working advertising. Lots of people mentioned me, lots of tasks. And I just, I burned through my email box as recommended in 25 minutes. And then was zero from there on out. Forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. And the, well, then it got pretty bad, like in the kind of peak of kind of the liturgist Ask Science Mike era when people all had my email address and I would get so many messages. There is a volume at which point the methodology breaks down. Yeah, I met you at I met you at the tail end of that. And it was yeah. like email burnout. Such email burnout. Yeah. Well, especially because most of my emails were like trauma dumps from strangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a, it's a lot. Well, it's a new day. It's a new dawn. And people can email you now, but it's about exciting stuff like the world of Yes, Yes, yeah. it is. And TTRPGs. Well, what do you say we get to some questions? Speaking of questions, we always need more. So uh, you can comment on basically any post on social media, and we'll see it there. You can make a new post and just at us, which is always a good time. Or you can email your questions straight to me using Mike at Vesser.com. That's V-E-S-S-E-R.com. And I'll uh, forward those on to the right people, and uh, we'll answer as many questions as we can. And after the last little bit of talking, you know for sure Mike will read your questions. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Do it, defer it, delete it. There you go. Uh, Okay. Jean Z Pace wrote in about something that I get asked about a lot. So I think a lot of people wonder about this and I'm excited for you to answer it, Mike. Who wrote or is writing the languages and what has been your inspiration for it? Okay, I was like, well, Anne can answer it, but that one actually is probably me. My earliest idea for the world of Vesser was this. I wanted a setting to run my own TTRPG game in. And I don't mean for commercial release. I meant like when friends came over, there was a map I completely controlled, and I didn't want it to be Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Meaning... The setting of Faerun, not the mechanics. Actually, I had planned on using 5th edition mechanics, just not any of Wizards IP uh, in terms of um, setting. So one thing that annoys me about 5th edition, that annoys me about Star Trek and Star Wars and basically almost every sci-fi or fantasy IP in history is intelligent species are all some variation of a human, right? Uh, And they're, but they're not depicted as subspecies. Like it's not like elves are, 
you know, a relative of Homo sapiens in the way that like Homo erectus is, right? Like it, they're just, it just drives me crazy, you know? And it drives me more crazy in sci-fi settings than fantasy because fantasy, like we're just making up. That's It's literally called fantasy, but science fiction is supposed to have a rigor. So why is all the aliens like humans with foam prosthetics on their face? Like that's not how evolution works. So I wanted to create other species that weren't like hobgoblins. Hobgoblins are just like humans with pointy pointy ears and like red makeup. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I started thinking about um, other s- lineages of life on Earth that could were most plausible to produce a level of cognition that would produce sapience. And looking at some lineages of uh, dinosaurs and dinosaur-like creatures, I, without an asteroid, I could see paths where they develop sapiens, especially looking at some of their modern descendants like crows and ravens, right? Who have like higher neuronal density than humans. I don't know if you know that, but on a neuron by neuron level, crow brains are more sophisticated structurally than human brains. They just are size limited because they run too hot. Crow brain gets too big. It kind of, it gets too hot to be a brain anymore. So uh, I started thinking about kind of a reptilian avian hybrid. And then like, how would they talk? Because they wouldn't have lips like we do. Uh, If you listen to the way that birds vocalize, including birds that can mimic human speech, it's all sort of like laryngeal. It happens in the throat more than the mouth because they don't have as much mouth articulation as we do. And so I listened to an absurd number of recordings of large reptiles and birds to try to think about what are the kind of phonotypes in their verbalizations. And then compared that to different recordings of the IPA, the International Phonetics Alphabet. So I was like, what sounds that are in human languages sound the most like these types of animal sounds? Because there's a lot of clicks. There's a lot of hisses. um, There's a lot of uh, deeper vowels, you know, like uh, or rolling sounds like um, alligators. Or, or, that's actually a lot of articulation, right? Or, you know, bird songs, a lot of whistles, a lot of trills, a lot of clicks. So I kind of built out a phonetic library. It's not the right word, but like a set of, of known human sounds that could work as a basis for this language. And then sort of worked out like listening to these sounds like, how differently would they arrange these sounds compared to us? So now I have this like set of rules to create a language. But then I was like, I'm getting out of my depth here. Uh, This is going to take a very, very, very long time. And then what I'm going to miss is the way culture shapes language beyond biology. So I found this amazing tool online called Vulgar Lang. 
that would allow you to take a set of IPA symbols and rules and then generate a language from it. And then I would run the output of that system and also like rules about like uh, gender on nouns and, and conjugation of time and just like an enormous amount of input variables. And then I would run the output through text-to-speech systems so I could hear what the language sound like. And then just like hand-tune and iterate and hand-tune and iterate. So I went through like 60 revisions to get to Runjinian or Runja, the language of the setting. And I was very excited about it. It was very cool. And I could like build full sentences that were vocabulary sound that I could hand to a linguist and a good linguist could like sight read this, right? Could speak this language, but I couldn't. (laughs) And so then Alex started and Alex is kind of a, a language nerd, not kind of. Alex is super language. Yeah, don't don't sell that short. So Alex got way more fluent, way quicker than I was on Runja. And then was like, a lot of these forms are difficult to impossible for humans to speak. And I was like, yeah, it's supposed to be. (laughs) And Alex was like, but you said there's humans in civilization, right? How do they talk? So then we created a variation of Runja called Low Runja, where we mix more human uh, kind of biostructure appropriate ordering and phrasing of this language. Uh, And then it's also kind of a pidgin language. So then there's just like normal human vocabulary, uh, English, Spanish, Mandarin, whatever kind of in in the language. And that's meant to be a proxy. It's not like people speak English in Vesser, but it's it, we're we're using human languages as a approximation of the kind of local Vesserian language. Even the name Vesser is a low runja word for a high runja word that means the good nest. I'm I'm glad you touched on Lodrunja too, because I could see people probably listening there with like big eyes of like, how am I going to pronounce this at a table? Right. Like, don't right. don't worry, we've we've got our common, so to speak. Yes. Um, and and one thing on top of that too is, you've got high runja, low runja, and then due to the fact that there's tour effects in the society, everyone is fluent in sign language because besides the Hamathi, who are the social cast of tour effects, they don't speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, they click and they trill, but they, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't speak, they don't speak. to a human runja mm-hmm. level of understanding, which means a to do for us. And we'll have to grow the business enough to, to pull this off. But at some point, we're going to have to have a conlang that sign language mm-hmm. in order to if like if we got a television, you couldn't make the show accurately unless there's a lot of signing going on it, you know. I mean, all of that's going to be super fun to explore once oh, we actually get there, too. So fun. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so fun. Although from an accessibility perspective, I wonder, like, maybe it should just be ASL. And we just understand that it's a proxy for actual uh, Tor effect sign language, uh, you know, so that, like, because that'd be kind of cool. Like, instead of reading captions, if you're deaf, like, you're just it's just part of the show. That'd be really cool. I think that y'all just heard something, a decision 
made in real time about our plan. Yeah. We'll still have to make the proper con line. Like mm-hmm. just, just Absolutely. to have it. But yes. Yeah. I think, I think probably ASL is the play. Yeah. That that's 100% what we need to do. Is, in the setting we're trying yeah. to normalize, like people are fluent in spoken language and sign language and pretty much like use both most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lot of advantages to, if you imagine you're an expeditioner and you're out in Alatheuk and it's like, there's a scary thing hunting us. You don't have to whisper to the person over there. Everyone knows sign language. So that's just, it's, there's a lot of like tactical advantages to that as well. That's, that's something that we try to do when one of us is either running a game or filling like the role of guide in an adventure that we're running with, with new players is we'll try to specify early on that either an NPC or the guide character is signing as sort of a reminder to the table of like, Hey, remember you have this. If there's something around, you don't have to risk talking. If you're trying to do, you know, something sneaky, get into a space without someone knowing you don't have to talk. And so it, it does have a very fun application in game too. I just realized I'm probably going to embark on a project now of learning ASL. Can we make a study group? Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Because I'd like to like in the games I run, like just start signing as I'm speaking. Yeah. yeah. In the community. Yeah. It'd be fun to start, uh, start practicing that. Absolutely. All right. Brian Booth asks, Brian Booth has two questions. I'm going to see if we can get to both. But we're going to start with the first one. They're great ones. Uh, first of all, they say, I just finished binging the current episodes and I am all in and fascinated. I can't wait to see this world unfold. One question I have about the magic is, are there any eminent abilities that would be forcibly suppressed for the safety of society at large? I'm thinking of potentially reality warping stuff, temporal manipulation, probably fields like Domino from Marvel, the ability to move between alternate realities or even what comics media calls universes. That would be wild. And I have no idea how do you control it as IP moderators. What do you think? Great question. I have many thoughts. Uh, You can't suppress specific eminent abilities you can suppress all or nothing in eminent abilities um and typically there's emanation like suppression fields so you suppress an area now you could certainly imagine not imagine this is part of the setting you can outfit a person with something a collar uh, an armband whatever that suppresses their eminent ability removes uh, their imminent potential actually is, is a market way to say it. So this is like the whole reason exile exists. Some people learn to use and shape emanation in a way that is reality warping. And we want them as a society to learn to do that very far away. But the whole reason uh, you're brought in as a novice into exile, as everybody knows, you can't control jack shit and that's why there are guards with the order of signs encircling you as you train because they are ready to scribe the sigils required to suppress your emanation if it starts to get out of control by the time you are a candidate so you've gone through the trial of discernment 
and you've taken your first right of Peshaz, you have a pretty significant ability to control your imminent abilities. And you, you, you keep them pretty under wraps and you learn to safely allow more emanation to channel through your physiology as you take additional rights. So by the time you're sixth right, you can do some pretty amazing things at relatively low risk to yourself and others. And you are still not allowed to go back to hash until you are one of the 24 people at a time who take the seventh right of Peshaz to become exalted. And the exalted can do certainly reality warping level abilities, but they've been through so much training, they can do so safely. And they've been through so much conditioning that they're not going to use their powers against Hash or against the seven. So um, that's all kind of baked into the setting. Yeah, I was going to add to that too. Like we have exalted who are chronokinetic biomanipulators or have very like temporal based powers and stuff like that. So that is something that while very dangerous is very valuable. And so that that's one of the reasons why the exalted are so heavily controlled, why once you show emanation, you're taken to a place where your training is monitored heavily for dangerous potential for useful potential you can understand why those people would be so incredibly important to keep close and keep controlled and also that there are stop gaps in place for if someone gets a little funky with it it wouldn't be allowed to go it wouldn't be allowed to go if caught past the point of the control of the people in power because it's it's something that they want to cultivate and use and have in their back pocket I'll add a little bit to this. This is for my hardcore science nerds. So I don't think this is spoilery. And if it is spoilery, like you have to read a bunch to even understand it. So the world of Vesser is relativistic, but it is not quantum many worlds. So we have decided how the physics work here. We have answered questions that aren't answered in our cosmology because we can do that. We're making the world. So there is not a quantum many worlds thing here, which means what? You can't travel to alternate realities. But, and even though they don't know this, no one in the world, they don't have a robust cosmology. Their their cosmology is still folklore, not, not kind of rigorous scientific. They live in a universe where M theory, which is the amalgamation of, of all the different uh, string theory and super string theory models, is reality, which means there are many additional dimensions of space time, but they are curly, not linear, which means and all the particles in the world, as string theory dictates, are strings. They are either closed strings or open strings. And what makes Vesser Different than our universe is there are many more types of open string particles than we have. In most forms of string theory, the only open string particle is gravity. But there are many, many, many types of open string particles. And for those who understand what I'm talking about, this is a huge clue into how the world works. 
like a massive, massive, massive clue into how the world functions and what some of the the potential of some of those reality warping abilities could be and why. That's that's the hard thing with this question, kind of why I kept pausing there. I'm like, what can I say or not? Because we're getting into a zone. Uh, I will say on the topic of suppressing emanation, you can imagine that maybe there's facilities or something out there that would contain such individuals. Well, we know, like, as soon as you express imminent ability in Hesh, like, you can't just be shipped to exile immediately. Sailings are scheduled because they take so many resources and they're dangerous. So there's a an area, like the name eludes me right now, I apologize, where you are sent and kept uh, and emanation is suppressed there and you're not allowed to leave. So like your friends and family can come visit you there freely whenever they want. It's not like a prison. You don't have, you're not like in a cell, you're not locked up, but you have to stay there until you leave Hesh forever. And if you know these exist and you know there are secrets, you can let your mind run wild about what may or may not be out there. And over there working for the augury. So speaking of secrets, at the beginning of the show, I told you if you stuck around to the end, I'd tell you how to skip the wait list. So here's how you do that. You're going to email me, mike at vesser.com, and the subject of your email must be a correctly spelled invented word. In Vesser. And you're like, well, how would I find that? If you go to Vesser.com, V-E-S-S-E-R.com, you will see there are words there that you've never read before because we made them. There are two types of magic. There are locations. There are different things you can find there. Email me the subject with one of those words. The first five people to do so will get an instant invite from me that lets them get onto. Uh, the server that day, but there's a bonus round. There's a special sixth opportunity. The person who sends me the most interesting sentence using as many of those words as possible will get a free membership to the community for a full year. So Mike at Vesser.com, give me your best stuff because we are going to be playing games Next week, I'm going to be hosting and running games, both the Garden of Suktu, our breakout TTRPG in a box, plays as a board game. You create a character and run an encounter in 60 to 90 minutes. It's incredible. But I'm also going to be running full campaign style games in exile where you can explore the full breadth and depth of Alatheok with me, the series creator. And I'm not the only person who's going to be running games. So if that sounds interesting to you, come on by and you might say, well, gosh, I've never played a TTRPG. Fantastic. We are looking specifically for people who haven't played before because our goal is to grow TTRPGs entirely by introducing new people to what's so great about them and that's adults learning to pretend again and in doing so learn more about themselves and how to interact with others if that sounds interesting to you you can join the waitlist at vesser.com or skip it entirely by emailing me thanks for listening everybody we hope we'll see you again next week shoot i thought of something else i want to ask but we're out of time so i'll wait till next week 
See you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.